Well, good day to you, good people of internet land. It's Larry G. Maguire here, writer and artist, LarryGMaguire.com. Thanks for listening in. It's the Daily Larb, episode 143. And today uh, is a little bit of an extension on what I was talking about yesterday, Sunday, uh, in Sunday Letters. If you haven't listened to it yet, uh, go back to episode 142, uh, the one immediately preceding this one, and give it an hour listen. Um, I was talking about... uh, deliberate practice and in particular uh, what Anders Ericsson psychologist uh, has to say about it and uh, he wrote a paper as I said in 1992 pretty um, 93 was it 92 or 3 pretty significant paper and um, it goes into uh, quite a lot of detail um, in terms of uh, how beneficial deliberate practice is uh, to the growth in expertise in you and me and why uh, innate talent is not necessarily uh, fundamental or critical to, I suppose, success in whatever it is you're doing. And he studied uh, this idea through sports and through academics and um, the arts and what have you. And uh, it's a pretty interesting paper. It's quite long. But uh, worth a read, I think. There's some technical stuff in there that um, you might just kind of... It's not critical, right? You could probably read the introduction and the brief historical background and uh, the conclusion section at the back, at the back and get enough information from it. Um, but I have included in the actual written article from yesterday a link that you can, you can download. And I've also included uh, uh, the Cambridge Handbook on uh, expertise, I can't remember the exact title of it. That's pretty chunky too. But both of them are in PDF form. You can give them a read if you're interested. But what's got me thinking about this subject? Well, I'm always on this subject, right? Of of uh, getting into our work, you know, and immersing ourselves in it, and doing it for the love and the joy of it, right? As a as a as a as a base, you know, and not allowing ourselves be um, influenced negatively by outside things, uh, things outside of us. Now, I should say that um, at the same time, those things outside of us should influence us. It's a balance, you see. It's a, it's a blend of the inside and the outside. It's what's going on out there in the world, plus what's going on within us. And sometimes, if we're not conscious of the fact that whatever we create is a blend of the two, we can sometimes get caught up in the idea that all of this stuff going on outside in the world is to blame or is the cause, maybe not to blame, but the, well, the blame, we give it, we assign it blame and we assign other people blame for our results, you know, uh, whether you're in art or music or, or, or sport or business or whatever. And, um, deliberate practice is the focused effort to improve the skills we have and develop the skills we have. Um, and it's very much, for me, an internal thing. You know, you got to put the blinkers on and get into the work. Uh, now, I don't always do it. But when I do it, I can't be disturbed, you know. If I'm disturbed, I get a little bit irate. And that's my problem. But I think it's important for creatives that we find the space to uh, engage in the work. And um, like I said yesterday, 
Erickson distinguishes between work, play and deliberate practice as being three distinct uh, activities, you know, related to whatever it is we're doing, whatever area of expertise we're focused on. And I don't think that's right because all of those three things can be the same thing, you know, and in fact probably are. But anyway, uh, I think I'm going off on a bit of a tangent, but um, download the article and give it a read. I think you'll find it interesting. But why I'm thinking about this uh, at the moment over the last few days in particular is because um, it relates to my own work. And uh, in particular, uh, the book that I'm writing, The Artist's Manifesto, um, it's it's kind of... It's certainly a big part of it, but also in the day to day stuff that I do outside of that. Like, for example, I'm not very fit at the moment. Uh, I'm uh, I'm probably at my most unfit. Um, and about three years ago, I was probably at my fittest, like remarkably fit. Um, I've taken part in endurance things and marathons and stuff, ultra marathons and all of that. And I've done a lot of them, I've done about 82 or three of them now. Uh, but I haven't done anything in the last three years, and as such, I've gained a little bit of a, a little bit of uh, a little bit of extra poundage, and um, it's not it's not it's not me, you know. And now, in order to shift that, I need to engage in some physical activity. I need to get out and run. I need to do uh, strength and conditioning work, and uh, I know. A fair bit about that thing, that stuff, but I've deliberately ignored it, and now I'm kind of at the point where I feel I need to do something about it. And there's uh, influences outside of me bearing on me uh, with regard to that. They are convincing me or pushing me towards uh, improving my physical condition. Uh, and although I say in the artist manifesto. Uh, and in many of the things that I write, that we shouldn't allow outside stuff influence our decisions and stuff. That's not entirely true. Not always. I mean, there's time for spending time on your own and doing things for your own gratification. But there's also time to engage with the world and allowing the world influence you. So here I am, right? Uh, myself and the missus and the three kids were heading off to the UK. We're heading to uh, Nottingham. And we're going to this Centre Parks place. It's an outdoorsy uh, adventure type centre and loads of activities and stuff you can do. And uh, there's, uh, I'm, I'm not fit and I need to get fit because there's stuff there that I want to do with my kids. Now, a month, it's a month away and that's loads of time. Um, for me, anyway. I, I, uh, I generally, when I, I get focused on something, it's like I'm completely in it and uh, I can get results pretty quickly. But... There's a pool there and I don't want to be getting into the pool with my belly hanging over the edge of my shorts. Now that might seem a little bit shallow but uh, it's the truth. And that idea, that anticipation of me not being in shape, being in my shorts and not being in shape either on the beach because we're going away for the summer or in the pool with the kids and stuff. I'm not willing to go there. I'm not willing to entertain that future vision. So... Uh, I'm I'm I am um, encouraged to do something about it. 
So now the world is influence on me. My idea of a future event is bearing on me and it's encouraging me to take action now. Now, as far as I'm concerned, that's a good thing because I need to sort out my health. I need to sort out my weight. I'm about 5 kgs overweight. I'm not very fit um, and I need to do something about it. And here is this uh, future event coming down the road, coming down the road. I, these linear analogies, I find it difficult to use them, but I have to use them because I'm speaking the same language as you. Um, but anyway, it's coming down the road and uh, it's forcing me to do something. And that's a good thing. And sometimes those deadlines are a good thing. You know, if you're writing a book or you're creating a piece of work uh, and you're working with other people and uh, those influences bear on you and you need to get... It forces you to drill down into it and get it fucking done, you know. And um, that's a good thing. But there are times when it's not a good thing. And there's nobody else can say when it's right or when it's not right for you, you know, or for me. We've got to decide. And the Artist Manifesto encourages us to go away to our own place and drill down into whatever it is we're doing and focus and get it done. Uh, but it also requires us to come back to the world and present our stuff. Now, whether that presenting of stuff is you getting in your shorts in the pool with your kids or whether it's uh, delivering your book uh, to the world and saying, hey, check this out, read this thing that I made. Well, it, it all it, it it's all relevant, you know. And uh, I've been thinking about this a lot recently and, and how it affects how this focused Deliberate work, deliberate practice uh, is beneficial, but at the same time can be detrimental, you know. Um, but anyway, further on this uh, topic, I was reading a bit more about um, one man who has influenced Ericsson, and uh, his name is Francis uh, Francis Galton. And this guy is a serious dude. He's uh, He was um, uh, extremely prolific around the latter half of uh, the 19th century and the early part of uh, the 20th century where he uh, came up with all kinds of um, wonderful theories on uh, human behaviour, social psychology, um, anthropology. Uh, He was a geographer, an inventor, a meteorologist, uh, geneticist, he was just, this guy was unreal, you should read a bit about him, um, but uh, he uh, came up with um, the uh, field of study known as psychometrics, uh, the science of measuring mental faculty, and uh, uh, another field of study, differential psychology, um, he was a serious dude, uh, he, was, he was also very influential in uh, meteorology, and he devised the first weather map, and uh, you should check him out. He was the cousin of uh, Charles Darwin, a half cousin or something like that. But um, uh, he he influenced Ericsson quite a bit in this paper, and uh, Ericsson talks about his um, his contribution. Basically, Galton uh, investigated, uh, you know. How was hereditary uh, intelligence or hereditary expertise, and how uh, he basically concluded that the reason why I'm so sharp and intelligent is because my parents were, you know, and that if your parents uh, weren't clever, well then you it was likely you weren't going to be. Now, 
that's very uh, cut and dry and it's since been proven not necessarily to be the case there's a whole lot of other factors going on like the environment and your interaction of your your genetics with the environment you know and uh, as Ericsson points out um, the influence of uh, deliberate practice and deliberate practice when in particular when there's uh, outside benefits you know uh, I wanted to read a little piece of this uh, study for you if I could um, it comes after uh, Ericsson's question does practice and experience inevitably lead to maximal performance in other words does deliberate practice uh, lead to um, your display of expertise in a particular field whether it's sport or science or whatever so uh, here's what he has to say the view that merely engaging in a sufficient amount of practice, regardless of the structure of that practice, leads to maximal performance, has a long and contested history. In their classic studies of Morse code operators, Bryan and Harter, 1897-1899, identified plateaus in skill acquisition when for long periods subjects seemed unable to attain further improvements. However, with extended efforts, subjects could restructure their skill to overcome plateaus. Keller, 1958, later showed that these plateaus in Morse code reception were not an inevitable characteristic of skill acquisition, but could be avoided by different and better training methods. Nonetheless, Bryan and Harter had clearly shown that with mere repetition, improvement of performance was often arrested at less than maximal efforts and further improvement required effortful reorganisation of the skill. Even very experienced Morse code operators could be encouraged to dramatically increase their performance through deliberate efforts when further improvements were required for promotions and external rewards. So basically, what he's saying here is that when there are rewards, external rewards for improvement in our skills and they mean something to us that we and and those rewards are actually you know the carrot and stick thing um they can help us improve now my my addition to that would be that to become focused on the carrot hanging from the end of the stick completely uh we lose ourselves you know and there's plenty of rewards uh, material rewards out there in the world and applause from people and peers and uh, supporters and stuff and even you could say the avoidance of criticism from uh, our critics or negative feedback from our critics those things can uh, evoke from us improved performance however when we become focused on it and they become the driving force then we become lost. There must be a return to the place where those things are blinkered out, you know, and that we're doing it and we're in it without any outside influence. Even if that's possible, I don't even know if it's possible, you know. Um, I reflect back on my own kind of training and I wonder what i carried out what i did i did what i did i structured training that i needed to take part in for about four years 
<clears throat> exams, like academic stuff as well as the practical stuff. And I wonder, I think if I was honest, I'd say that the need or will to produce a good result, or at least uh, get above, above average, was there. I mean, I think competition, what we see as competition, does enable us to do better. Um, I mean, look at the Olympics, uh, the sports such as running, the marathon time is continually being improved. Like we're only we're talking about uh, a matter of time before two hours is broken for the marathon, you know, and uh, other events like the high jump and all of these things that are measured um, like the 100 meters and all of these things are getting faster. And there might be periods where there's no improvement, but eventually someone comes along and breaks it, you know. And I think that uh, anecdotally, just from what I see around me, that these improvements tend to be exponential. That there may, there seems for a long time to be no improvement, no improvement, no improvement, very little. And then, boom, there's a big change. And then the big change kind of plateaus plateaus a little bit when there's, there's a long period where there's no improvement. And then, boom, there's a big change again. I don't know, but it's hard to see like uh, someone breaking nine seconds for... 100 meters like that seems outrageous but why why not you know um or even breaking one hour 59 or one hour 58 for the marathon i don't like i've run a i've run a load of marathons and uh a lot of them i've ran i've run consecutively one after the other day after day and uh there's plenty of people who would suggest that that's impossible and i've i've managed to prove to myself that um achieving beyond a particular level is is uh or the limit to achieving beyond a particular level is only in your mind a friend of mine uh stevie ran a hundred of those marathons in a row i ran 40 44 or five of them in a row so what uh, often it's uh we believe ourselves incapable and um we tend to just kind of lapse into the ordinary, you know, we blend in with everybody else. And uh, that's all right. That's where you want to be. But the world is full of mediocre, you know. Uh, the world is full of people just doing stuff without real intent to improve. Just kind of, yeah, you know. And I suppose that's okay, you know. If that's where you're at, well, then that's fine. But there comes a point where it's just like, I've had enough of this, you know. I've I've got to, to. There has to be something better than this. Where is it? You know, you go looking for it, and you try to improve what it is you're doing. And uh, invariably, you probably drop that, maybe, and then find something else, or else you find a new way of doing it, and uh, you're re-engaged. You know, um, for about fifteen years, I was doing the same thing, and I lost, fell out of love with it dropped it for a couple of years and came back to it and um it's it's good again but i think we I, I think it's important to test ourselves you know i think it's important to engage in the thing and, and seek to be better at what we're doing um but ultimately i do firmly believe that if we're too heavily focused on other people if we're if we're not focused on ourselves and we're absolutely in the thing and doing it for the sake of it, right in the moment, 
I mean, you can have a goal, you can have something at the back of your activity. You can have maybe an idea of where you want to be, or you can have a level, you know, where you want to you want to reach. You can see other people and say, well, he or she is uh, exceptional. I want to be there. And then when you hit there, when you hit that point, it's no longer enough, you know. I think that's part of the human condition. And uh, it's why things grow and become more. But there's dangers in that too. It is and it isn't, you know. As I talk about these things, I can see the opposite. And the opposite has relevance too. And I think all of this uh, is very much a case of how does it feel for you? That's how it feels for me. I know that if I'm if I'm uh, if I fear something or if I'm in negative anticipation of something, well then I won't uh, I won't produce my best, you know. So you got to mix with the world. In summary, I think we got to mix with the world. We got to take influence from the world. We can take motivation from the world, but ultimately we got to come back and we got to get into that place where we do what we do uh, for the love and the joy of it, because. Um, if you're just doing it for money, which is what Ericsson suggests, if you're doing your work, your work, your work, I'll read that for you. I'll read this line. Can I find it here? Hang on a minute. I wonder if I can find it here. Um, so I found it. Um, so get a load of this, right? Consider three general types of activities, namely work, play and deliberate practice. Work includes public performance, competitions, services rendered for pay and other activities directly motivated by external rewards. Play includes activities that have no explicit goal and that are inherently enjoyable. Deliberate practice includes activities that have been specially designed to improve the current level of performance. The goals, costs and rewards of these three types of activities differ, as does the frequency with which individuals pursue them. Now, there might be some truth to that. However, and I am picking things out, like this is a this is a chunky paper, so um you have to kind of read it all in context. But um I don't necessarily agree with that, you know? And uh there's something else I'd like to add, uh another another uh, sentence or two, just a couple of paragraphs down. In contrast to play, deliberate practice is a highly structured activity, the explicit goal of which is to improve performance. Now, I don't think that's in contrast to play at all, because play is often uh, highly structured, a highly structured activity, and it often does have explicit goals. You know, here's something else. Specific tasks are intended, are, apologies, specific tasks are invented to overcome weaknesses, and performance is carefully monitored to provide cues for ways to improve it further. Yes, I'd accept that, but not all the time. We claim that deliberate practice requires effort and is not inherently enjoyable. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that's a flawed idea right there. I know it's only one sentence, but I don't think that's accurate. Individuals are motivated to practice because practice improves performance. In addition, engaging in deliberate practice generates no immediate monetary rewards and generates costs associated with access to teachers and training in new environments. Okay, you can really drill into this and define this stuff. But I think, some, as I said yesterday, at the start of the Sunday Letters episode, when you ana- analyse the shit out of something, you lose something important. And I think in this analysis here, in that 
those few pieces that I just read out, there's something important lost. I think play, deliberate practice and work can be the same thing. I think they they intertwine, they overlap and they become the same thing. And it's not always the case for everybody. And I mean, you can decide to break out and, and cut apart the stuff that you do uh, and in doing so, lose the enjoyment of it. And if you don't have enjoyment in the thing that you're doing, well, then what's the purpose? It's just a means to an end. If you're constantly doing what you do for the sake of reward and for the sake of applause, and that's your motivation, and you lose the enjoyment part, you're fucked. You know? You've got to love what you do. That has to be fundamental. And then all of these other things, like deliberate practice and and, um, receiving pay for it, become a consequence of being so engaged in that thing that you do because because of the the challenge the challenge of the task you know the enjoyment in the challenge of the task or of the activity and then reward in the form of pay and applause and all that kind of thing can come as a consequence i think to separate these out and put them alongside each other and say oh they're very different uh is not accurate Certainly not for me, not in my experience. I don't know about you, but uh, it's important that um, I think we recognise this, you know. So, what are you going to do? Well, I don't know. Uh, Keep doing your thing and uh, keep reminding yourself that there's more to it than just getting paid. I mean, Jesus Christ, if that's all we're doing things for, it takes it takes the heart and soul out of out of everything. It takes you might as well not have love for the game, you know. I mean, I know I've been in the position where I pursued work for the sake of pay and the the sake of status and the sake of applause and reward, and it's soul destroying, you know. It should come as a consequence. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be at the base of why we do things. Sure, uh, you you might want to improve. Um, but again, you might want to kind of reach the standard that other people have set. And that's fine. But that shouldn't be at the basis of why you do things. Not, not in my opinion. I don't know. Anyway, if you want to get that paper, get over to uh, LarryGMcGuire.com and click on the raw, the power of deliberate practice article, and uh, you can download that paper by Anders Eriksson um, and his colleagues, and also get the uh, the Cambridge Handbook on expertise, and uh, give it a read, and check out Sir Francis Galton as well. He's pretty prolific, this dude. Uh, I'm going to do some more reading on his stuff and check out um, his material. So uh, anyway, that's it for now. Um, I've got to get out and do some work and uh, (laughs) earn a few bob so I can spend more time on here in fact I should say if you like the stuff that I make uh, that I record here on the Daily Larb or that I write over to LarryGMcGuire.com please consider becoming a patron Uh, when you become a patron I've got some rewards for you there and uh, your patronage helps me spend more time making this stuff and uh, make more of a concerted effort uh, and deliberate effort to make it better (laughs) and that's what we're talking about isn't it so uh, that's it for now from me I hope you have a good day thanks for listening to Daily Larb 
Uh, I've been Larry G. McGuire and uh, I'll see you probably tomorrow or later on maybe. Take it easy and have a good one.